Well, hello there, wonderful teachers. I want to invite you to an event we're doing this summer. It's in Cincinnati, Ohio, so you have to be able to make it there, but it might be worth traveling for if you're able to. It's happening on July 20th and 21st, so that's over a weekend, and it's going to be the best two days for teachers. We're going to have a ton of fun. We're going to learn a lot about pedagogy and creative teaching and business. We have two fabulous guest speakers and we're even going to finish with an optional Kaylee. That's an Irish dancing party. So I hope you'll be able to join me. Just go to vibrantmusicteaching.com slash turbo that's dot com slash t-u-r-b-o 24 the numbers two four. I hope you'll check it out view all the details there and I hope to see you in Cincinnati in July. On with the episode. Vibrant, vibrant, vibrant music teaching. Proven and practical tips, strategies, and ideas for music, music teachers. This is episode 90 of the Vibrant Music Teaching Podcast. I'm Nicola Canton, and in this show, I want to try to convince you that most students should only do exams every other year. Welcome back, beautiful teachers. So in this show, I want to talk about something to do with exams. And I don't often bring up the topic of exams on this show, mostly because I have lots of other things to talk about, but also because we do have a large listenership in the US and exams are just not as much of a thing over there in terms of music. So I will start this by explaining the standard exam process in the rest of the world, well, not just the rest of the world, but particularly in Ireland, UK, Australia, New Zealand, and most parts of Canada, the standard tends to be that students do exams, if they're doing them, every year. They do one exam a year, and an exam involves playing three pieces, not from memory usually, just playing three pieces from the score, and a set number of scales that they can be quizzed on, and then some oral tests and theory and rhythm tests, that kind of stuff. So that's what an exam is, if you're not familiar with this this concept that we all go on about in the rest of the world, and they tend to be as standard done every year. And the reason I explain this up front is only about 25% of the US, as we showed in our music teaching industry report, which by the way you can get at colourfulkeys.ie slash report, you can grab that there with loads of data about our industry and the trends and the percentages of teachers, you know, making certain amounts and teaching certain amounts of hours, and yes, percentages of teachers whose students do exams for the most part and whose students don't. And in the US, we got an answer of about 25% did exams, so 75% no exams at all, or very few. And the rest of the world, outside of the US, almost 80% had students who generally did exams. So that's a pretty drastic difference, right? Even more than than the reverse. So yeah, so I just wanted to put that caveat out there. Now, if you're listening in the US and you don't participate in exams or anywhere else and you don't do exams with your students, I still want you to listen in. I still think you'll get something out of this thought process because it's something you can use to evaluate anything you're doing. Competitions, recitals, or just projects, or just really anything about how you're teaching each year and bigger 
goals you have for your students. So when we start to think about when our students should and shouldn't do exams, and this is how I frame it with parents as well, I start by saying, okay, well, is this going to be beneficial? Which sounds like a very basic question, but it's one we don't often examine if we are in this standard process of students doing exams every year. Okay, so if we're going to decide whether it's going to be beneficial for the student or not, we need to decide first what we're trying to do. What is our goal for each student that comes in our studio? Yes, it will be, it will have bearings, it will change depending on the student and what they want and their musical tastes and their goals and all of that. But in general, what do you want for a student when they start music lessons with you? Most of us, I would wager to say, would say we want them to keep playing music for the rest of their lives in some capacity, right? Especially if they get through many years in our studio. And if that's the case, if we want to make lifelong musicians, then we need to look at how exams can help with that and how they can get in the way. Because I can't tell you the number of adults, parents of current students, emails I get through from people who happen across my website, and all sorts of people I hear from all different avenues who tell me, oh yeah, I did piano for X number of years, I got to grade 6, grade 7, grade 8, and I never played again. For those of you outside of exam systems, if someone gets to grade 8, they're playing, you know, pretty early advanced to advanced repertoire, is what you would call it, okay? They're playing movements of Beethoven sonatas. They get to that stage, and then they never play again. Why does that happen? And yes, they had some brain exercise for all of those years and definitely that, you know, can benefit them later in life. But really, what was the point of all of those years of lessons if they don't leave still wanting to play? At least in some capacity. I'm not saying they have to keep playing Beethoven sonatas, but these are people who are saying they never touched a piano again. Nor did they pick up another instrument, by the way. Some of them did, but most don't even do that. So they didn't pick up a guitar and learn that with their musical knowledge. They didn't play piano again. They didn't play in a band or play on a Sunday evening for fun. Nothing. After all of those years. And that has to be, I mean, grade 8 level. We're talking about at least 10 years of lessons in general. That is a lot of time and effort to put in to never play again. Now, that's not to say that exams are a bad thing. And I think some people tend to get this idea when I start talking about exams, they'll get the idea that that's what I think, that I think they're just a negative and we shouldn't do them at all. And actually, my students do do exams, just not all the time and not as a default option. Anything that's a default, I tend to question as much as possible. Whenever I recognize I'm doing something because it's just what I do, just what one does, that's not a good thing. We need to question why it's there and have a good reason and a motivation for doing it when we're teaching people. So what do exams help us learn then? Let's take this from a blank slate because we have to know what they're good for to know when to utilize them. Well, I think one thing exams do help us learn is polish and to an even greater degree than playing in a recital. Certainly teachers can have very high standards for performances in recitals, but there is a different level to the polish you need to put together to sit an exam, to do really well in one. 
and you do get that tangible result back so you know how you did. You know, it's a very, I guess, black and white kind of answer, which it can be a good thing and a bad thing, but it does motivate you to really polish those three pieces to a very high degree or more pieces if that's your exam system. It also teaches us to perform under pressure, again, in a different way than recitals do. I certainly wish I had done more recitals when I was growing up, because I'm not the best at performing in front of a crowd under that kind of pressure. But something I can do is go into that terrifying room with one person sitting there scrutinizing every move that you make, or that's what it feels like, and perform reasonably well, right? I know how to do that. And that is valuable. It is good to be able to perform when you need to, and to prepare yourself and to have you know, strategies and routines for coping with that pressure. Exams help you develop those things. They also push you to learn music in a wider number of genres or especially periods than you might otherwise. So if a student is learning purely for their own pleasure, yes, we can find ways to convince them that they should learn Bach and we can certainly enrich their listening habits so that they get used to the sounds and actually appreciate it. Great. And some students will just be naturally drawn to that music. But in general, you need some kind of motivating factor to learn a fugue, right? Some students will be driven to that anyway, absolutely. But I would kind of say that a lot of students, more students, let's say, would be driven to learn a fugue when they are in that exam system and they're going for grade eight and they know that's just something they have to do. And you do learn a lot from that process, don't you? So that is a benefit as well. It means that you tend to have a wider palette within the classical genre. Now we'll talk about the whole pop side of things later, but within classical, you have to, from the later grades in most systems, learn a Baroque, classical, and a Romantic or modern piece. You can't just do all Beethoven or all whatever you love. Okay, so that is beneficial because you find things that you end up loving and you didn't know you would. And for others, exams can be a good motivator for learning scales. Now, personally, in my studio, my students are almost always ahead of the scale level on the exam before they get there. But I know for some, that's the only time they can get them to learn scales, so I wanted to put that in there. So that polish and that performance under pressure and the sort of forcing us in a way to learn a wide variety of music, those are fantastic benefits that we can get from taking exams, from our students doing exams. But what do we learn better when we're not in exams? When we spend a year out of the exam system, what do we learn better in that year? Well, we learn our own musical taste and style, I think, better. Because although exams push us to learn from a variety of classical periods of music, We can't branch out wildly, right? There are lists to follow. And so when we're not in an exam year, we can explore, you know, really modern composers that we love or whoever, the piano guys or Justin Bieber. I don't care. It gives us a chance to explore all those different things and decide who we are as a musician and what we love and what style we like to play in and how we like to express ourselves at the piano. That's a good thing. It also, I believe, provides more time for independent learning or to develop the skills we need for independent learning. 
And this is where I come back to those students who got to grade 8 and quit. A lot of them didn't have any independent learning skills. In fact, some of them were learning by rote the entire time. (laughs) But let's leave that aside. Even if they were reading, they may not feel super confident about their reading ability. And especially when it's not sort of scrutinized by the teacher sitting beside them. Once they don't have that teacher there, they feel like they can't really tackle it by themselves. And that's because when students are learning in an exam piece, I do this too, right? I'm kind of really (laughs) controlling, in a good way, I hope, about what they learn and how precise they are, because there's so much writing on that one piece. So I have to, I'm not feeding them the notes or anything like that, but I am really structuring their practice during the lesson and controlling how, or telling them very specifically how to practice and what strategies to employ. Because again, it's, you know, 20% of their exam grade. It means a lot to them. We want to get it right. We don't want to be stressing in the preparation time or anything like that. So when we don't have that going on, we can provide these more independent learning opportunities and develop those skills where the students can go away and learn things by themselves or they can approach things in their own way and even propose new ways of practicing something or starting to work on something that maybe we know or think won't work, but we can let them do that. Like, we can let them fail a bit, and we can't do that with an exam piece. It also provides some time to develop self-motivation for the music itself. And this really is the crucial one for me. Because what we want, if we want students to be learning music for their own enjoyment for the rest of their life, they need to develop that feeling that probably all of us have which is the feeling of getting to grips with a piece or even a particular passage and just feeling like the work that you put in is now satisfying because you got to that stage with something, right? There's that satisfaction just from accomplishing that goal. And if you always have this external judge of whether you did it or didn't do it or how well you did it, I don't believe you have the space always to create that. That ability to just be, to appreciate the work for itself rather than for an external motivator, to be internally motivated by learning stuff. And exams can kind of get in the way of that sometimes. They can be motivating in a whole other way, but in terms of developing that internal motivation, I don't think they're great at that. And the final thing I'll say about the years when we're not in exams We definitely have more space there, time really, to do all the other stuff. To learn pop music, to learn songs by ear, to learn to arrange and compose and improvise. To go in depth with something they're just curious about and follow them down that path. If we're doing an exam, and exams don't take us the whole year, but in some studios they do, so this would be even more true then. But in my studio, if we're doing an exam, yeah, that's three months. But it's three months where really you can't do much else. You have to be all in with that. And that doesn't leave space for other stuff. So, for these reasons, balancing those two sides, the fact that I know exams have done some good things for me and other students, that at the same time, I don't want to fall into a pattern of doing exams every year or as a default option 
because I know there's so much other things we need to do in order to establish that habit of being a lifelong musician. That is why for most students, and again, not a standard because I don't like standard prescribed amounts, for most students, what we fall into a pattern of is doing exams roughly every second year. And I don't mean that we do, well, we could. Normally, we're not doing grade two and waiting two years to do grade three. I'm not slowing the pace. We're actually just skipping grade three, doing a bunch of other stuff instead, which raises their level the same amount the exam would have or more. And then we get to grade four the following year. So we haven't lost anything. Nothing is missing from that. As far as I know, I'm still covering everything. And alongside that, I have more control over the curriculum than just relying on an exam syllabus. That's not what I do, right? I have a curriculum, I have a plan, and we have several episodes to talk about that. So we can leave the links in the show notes for this episode at vibrantmusicteaching.com slash 90, And that will give you a taste of how I think about this whole idea of a curriculum and how it's much more beyond an exam syllabus. So that being said, in the years when we're not doing an exam, it doesn't mean that they're not achieving anything with their scales or they're moving their theory along or anything like that. It just means that we don't do the actual exam and that we do other stuff and different types of repertoire and all of that. So exams every second year. Let me know what you think of this concept and whether it feels like a good balance to you. To me, it feels beneficial. It feels helpful. Most students are either doing this or not doing exams at all. There are definitely plenty of students in my studio who are doing that. But if they are doing exams, it tends to be every second year. And I believe this helps them be more likely to keep going when there isn't a specific deadline, when there isn't that exam date in sight, which means that, again, when they stop lessons, they're more likely to learn stuff, to keep going anyway, because it's not always about working on some specific project for a recital, for an exam, for a competition, for a video recording, right? A lot of the time it's just learning for learning's sake and it's enjoyable to do that and you get to play something fun and sometimes that should be enough. So let me know what you think about it. Push back against me if you like absolutely open to debating this and I think it's a conversation we need to have more of, especially in these parts of the world, Ireland, UK, Australia, where piano studios in general tend to opt for exams as a default and pretty much every year. I think we need to be questioning that. So let me know what you think about it in the Vibrant Music Studio Teachers group on Facebook. Apply to join if you're not already a member. Now, before I let you go, I wanted to mention something. So this is episode 90, as I said at the top there. And that means we're coming sort of close to 100, which is really exciting. For the 100th episode, I want to have a little bit of a celebration. I want to do something special. And what I want is stories from you about things you've learned in the last year. It doesn't have to be something you learned from the podcast, although I welcome that. It doesn't have to be something you learned from any of my sites or any of my content. It can be just something you learned from anywhere, from another podcast, from a student, from a billboard. I don't care. Anything that you learned that help you see something differently or learn something new or gain a new perspective on something. Does anything stick out to you in the last year that has changed for you or that's brand new information that it suddenly went, oh my gosh, that's it. 
It all falls into place now. Or maybe it was smaller than that. Maybe it was just a little tweak that actually changed something quite big, but in a small way. I want to hear your stories about it. And here's what I want you to do. I want to hear your voice saying them, because it'll be much more meaningful than me reading a bunch of stories on a podcast. So I really want you to record your own voice. You can just do it directly into your phone. We all have phones in our pockets right now that can do this. So you have two options. You can go to colorfulkeys.ie slash 100. And right there on that page, colorfulkeys.ie slash 100, you can just press the record button, record it, and it'll send it to me there. Nice and simple. If this is easier for you, you can use the voice memo app on your phone, record it in there, and just send that as an attachment to an an email directly to me, uh, nicola at vibrantmusicteaching.com. Nicola at vibrantmusicteaching.com. So either of those, whichever one sounds easier, because I want to remove the friction for you, because I really want these stories. I think it could be fantastic to bring them together. I'll put in a little bit of feedback or discussion about it or what I took from each story, and it could be a really fun episode. So I hope you'll send them through colorfulkeys.ie slash 100 or just email a voice recording to me, nicola at vibrantmusicteaching.com and you'll be, you may be featured on the podcast episode if you send one through. Just anything about a store, a learning that you had in the last year. I'm looking forward to listening to them. Bye for now. If you need some fun projects to do when your students aren't in exams, you can find plenty of stuff inside Vibrant Music Teaching. Go to vmt.ninja to learn more and sign up today. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Vibrant Music Teaching Podcast. I hope you loved it and I wanted to pop on here one more time to remind you about our event. It's happening in Cincinnati this July and you can get all the details at vibrantmusicteaching.com slash turbo. See you there.